The Academia, Michelangelo's David. Michelangelo's David is the symbol of the Renaissance, when Europe stepped out of medieval darkness and into the light of the modern world. Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Thanks for joining me on a visit to Florence's Academia Museum, home of David, a number of unfinished Michelangelo statues, and a handful of other interesting sites. Remember that the Academia often has long lines to get in, so consider consulting a guidebook about getting a reservation in advance. You'll want to allow about half an hour to do justice to this audio-guided tour, as we see Michelangelo's most famous work, as well as the so-called prisoners that give insight into the sculpting process of this complex genius. How to use this audio guide. As you can see from the display window on your MP3 player, each of the Academia's greatest hits has its own title and track number, much like the song tracks of a music CD. You can skip ahead or tailor your itinerary to your own tastes. But navigating through the Academia can be a bit confusing, and it's easiest to just follow the tour in the order I've laid out. To help you along, I've invited my colleague Lisa Brown. Welcome, Lisa. Buongiorno. She'll give directions from one exhibit to the next. Be aware that, as in any museum, some exhibits may have moved or be out for restoration, so be flexible. If you're taking this tour with my Rick Steves Audio Europe app, don't miss its latest features. There are zoomable maps showing the route in each stop. These are viewable while you listen. A 20-second rewind button allows you to catch something you might have missed or hear vital directions a second time. And the speed button makes me talk faster, chipmunk style. You can read the actual script of this tour, and if you'd like more information on the spot, you can download our entire guidebook on this destination with a couple of clicks. Those following this tour on their iPod rather than with my fancier app may find that my guidebook to this place with its maps, photos, and exhibit titles can make following this audio tour easier. Now, let's enter the Academia and get started. Lisa, take us in. Thanks, Rick. The tour begins with David. Enter the museum and pick up your ticket or reservation. Show your ticket, turn left, and look right down the long hall with David at the far end, under a halo-like dome. Yes, you're really here. With David presiding at the altar, the prisoners lining the nave, and hordes of pilgrims crowding in to look. You've arrived at Florence's Cathedral of Humanism. Start with the ultimate, Michelangelo's David. Fourteen feet high, gleaming white, and exalted by the dome over his head. David rarely disappoints, even for those with high expectations. Rick? David by Michelangelo Bonarotti, from 1504. When you look into the eyes of Michelangelo's David, you're looking into the eyes of Renaissance man. This 14-foot-tall symbol of divine victory over evil represents a new century and a whole new Renaissance outlook. This is the age of Columbus and Classicism, Galileo and Gutenberg, Luther and Leonardo, of Florence and the Renaissance. In 1501, Michelangelo Bonarotti, a 26-year-old Florentine, was commissioned to carve a large-scale work for the Duomo, Florence's cathedral. He was given a block of marble that other sculptors had rejected as too tall, shallow, and flawed to be of any value. But Michelangelo picked up his hammer and chisel, 
knocked a knot off what became David's heart, and started to work. Approach closer to the statue. You'll find that no matter what angle you view David from, he's impressive. The figure of David comes from a Bible story. The Israelites, God's chosen people, are surrounded by barbarian warriors led by a brutish giant named Goliath. The giant challenges the Israelites to send someone out to fight him. Everyone's afraid except for one young shepherd boy, David. Armed only with a sling which he's thrown over his shoulder, David cradles a stone in the pouch of the sling and faces Goliath. In this carving, Michelangelo captures David as he's sizing up his enemy. He stands relaxed but alert, leaning on one leg in a classical pose known as contraposto. In his powerful right hand, he fondles the stone, ready to fling it at the giant. His gaze is steady, searching with intense concentration, but also with extreme confidence. Michelangelo has caught the precise moment when David is saying to himself, I can take this guy. Note that while some scholars think David's pose indicates he's already slain the giant, others believe, as I do, that Michelangelo has portrayed David preparing to fight the giant. That's why, unlike depictions of David after the kill, this one doesn't show the giant's severed head. David is a symbol of Renaissance optimism. He's no brute. He's a civilized, thinking individual who can grapple with and overcome problems. He needs no armor only his God-given body and wits. Look at his right hand, with the raised veins and strong, relaxed fingers. Many complained that it was too big and overdeveloped. But this represents the hand of a man powered by the strength of God. No mere boy could slay the giant. But David, powered by God, could and did. Look closely at David's head, then compare it with the size of his body, the proportions are just a bit off. You see, originally, the statue was commissioned to stand on the roof of the Duomo. But during the three years it took to sculpt, they decided instead to place it guarding the entrance of the town hall, or Palazzo Vecchio. If David's head seems a bit big for his body, it's because Michelangelo had designed it to appear in the right proportion when seen from street level far below the church rooftop. When David was finished, the Colossus was placed standing up in a cart and dragged across rollers from Michelangelo's workshop through the streets to the Palazzo Vecchio. There David stood, naked and outdoors, for 350 years. In the right light, you can see signs of weathering on his shoulders. Also note the crack in David's left arm where it was broken off during a 1527 riot. In 1873, to conserve the masterpiece, the statue was finally replaced with a copy and moved here. David now stands under a wonderful Renaissance-style dome designed just for him. David is interesting from every angle. Start from the front. From this view, he's a picture of relaxed confidence. Now, walk over to the right. Take about 20 steps or so. Then look back so you're looking straight into his face. Gazing into his eyes from here, he seems a bit less sure as he furrows his brow and contemplates the terrible giant. Now circle around back, behind the statue. As you squeeze behind it, look up. Here, from this vantage point, you can really appreciate the statue's sheer size. 
running down David's back, you can see his sling slung down. His what? His, his sling. His sling, Lisa, it slung down his back. Admire the perfect anatomy of his tensed back muscles and tight buns. If I must. But I'm not too fond of his haircut. Kind of a Renaissance mullet. Okay, continue your circle. When you reach David's right foot, get really close to the plexiglass shields. Now it's time to focus on his toes. Take a close look because these were damaged in 1991 when the statue was attacked by a deranged visitor. Now, complete your circuit and then back up far enough so you can take in the whole statue one last time. In Michelangelo's day, Renaissance Florentines could identify with David. Like him, they considered themselves God-blessed underdogs fighting their city-state rivals. In a deeper sense, they were civilized Renaissance people slaying the ugly giant of medieval superstition, pessimism, and oppression. Today, David stands as the ultimate symbol of the Renaissance, of optimism, humanism, and of all that's good in the human race. David is certainly the highlight of the museum, and it's worth taking the time to fully appreciate. But for now, our tour is moving on. So turn your back to David. Start heading back down the nave toward the entrance. You'll pass by other statues by Michelangelo that line the hall. We'll turn to these in a minute, but first, let's get a fuller introduction to the artist himself, Michelangelo Bonarotti, sculptor, painter, architect, and poet. Find the small bronze statue of Michelangelo at the far end of the hall, next to the doorway. It shows the head and torso of a brooding Michelangelo. The Bust of Michelangelo by Daniele da Volterra from 1564. This bronze bust by one of Michelangelo's pupils shows a craggy, wrinkled Michelangelo just before his death at age 89. Michelangelo lived a long and productive life. Born to a poor but noble family, he was raised in the neighborhood near Santa Croce Church. He showed artistic talent early, but his father forbid him from becoming an artist back then. That was a less-than-noble profession. At age 13, Michelangelo was plucked from obscurity by none other than the ruler of Florence, Lorenzo the Magnificent. He nurtured the boy's budding talent by making him a member of his high-class household. Look closely at the statue, especially the nose. As a teenager, Michelangelo, who would always be known as temperamental and prickly, got his nose broken in a fight with a rival artist. As you can see from this bust, though Michelangelo went on to create great beauty, he himself was never classically handsome. Michelangelo first made his mark by sculpting the famous Pietà in St. Peter's in Rome. That convinced Florence's city fathers to trust him with the monumental project of sculpting David. For the rest of his life, Michelangelo alternated working in Florence and in Rome. In Rome, he painted the Sistine Chapel and designed the Dome of St. Peter's. In Florence, you can see his Medici chapels, a rare painting in the Uffizi, and a number of statues. Michelangelo fans will want to check out his victory statue in the Palazzo Vecchio, Bacchus and Brutus in the Bargello, and a Pietà in the Duomo Museum, which he intended for his own tomb. 
When Michelangelo died in 1564, he was recognized as the greatest artist of his day, called Il Divino, Michelangelo the Divine. He was buried in his hometown of Florence, marked by a tomb in Santa Croce, just a block from his boyhood home. The Academia gives us a chance to get up close and personal with Michelangelo's statues called the Prisoners, or Slaves, which line the hall leading up to David. Start with the two large unfinished statues near the Volterra bust at the end of the hall farthest from David. The Prisoners from about 1516 to 1534 These unfinished figures seem to be fighting to free themselves from the stone. Michelangelo believed the sculptor was a tool of God, not creating, but simply revealing the powerful and beautiful figures God put into the marble. Michelangelo's job was just to chip away the excess, to reveal. He needed to be in tune with God's will. And whenever the Spirit came upon him, Michelangelo worked in a frenzy, often for days on end without sleep. Start with the statue to your left as you face David. The so-called awakening prisoner seems to be stretching after a long nap, still tangled in the bedsheets of uncarved rock. He's the least finished of the prisoners, more block than statue. On the right, the young prisoner is more clearly defined. He buries his face in his forearm, while his other arm is chained behind him. By the way, the names of these statues are given by art scholars, not Michelangelo. The prisoners give us a glimpse of Michelangelo's fitful sculpting process, showing the restless energy of someone possessed. Get as close to the statues as you can, where you can really see the rough surface of the stone. Michelangelo had to battle the hard marble to create the image he saw in his mind's eye. You can still see the grooves from the chisel, and you can picture Michelangelo hacking away in a cloud of dust. Unlike most sculptors who built a model and then marked up their block of marble to know just where to chip, Michelangelo always worked freehand, starting from the front and working back. These figures emerge from the stone. As his colleague Vasari put it, as though surfacing from a pool of water. Continue walking up the nave toward David. After a few steps, you'll reach Michelangelo's St. Matthew from 1503. Though not one of the Prisoner's series, he is also unfinished, perfectly illustrating Vasari's surfacing description. Keep going now to the next prisoner, on the right. The prisoners were designed for the never-completed tomb of Pope Julius II. Julius also commissioned the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Michelangelo may have abandoned them simply because the project itself petered out, but he may have deliberately left them unfinished. Perhaps he was satisfied that he'd accomplished what he'd set out to do. Then, seeing no point in polishing them to their shiny, finished state, he lost interest and went on to a new project. The next statue on the right, the bearded prisoner, is the most finished of the four, with all four limbs, a bushy face, and even a hint of daylight between his arm and body. Across the nave on the left, the Atlas prisoner carries the unfinished marble on his stooped shoulders, his head still encased in the block. As you study these prisoners, notice Michelangelo's love and understanding for the human body. 
His greatest days were spent sketching the muscular, tanned, and sweating bodies of the workers in the Carrara marble quarries west of Florence near the Cinque Terre. The prisoners' heads and faces are the least developed part. The statues speak with their poses. Comparing the restless, claustrophobic prisoners with the serene and confident David gives us an idea of the sheer emotional range in Michelangelo's work. The chisel grooves and the rough marble are reminders of how difficult it is to conceive a form, hew it out of solid marble, and then polish it to completion. Look at the prisoners, then turn and look at David. Comparing the unfinished prisoners with the polished and perfect David, we can appreciate the agony of the artistic process and the ecstasy of the result. Michelangelo's statues are far and away the highlight here. But the rest of this small museum, housed in a former convent, has a few bonuses. Let Rick point out a few from here, starting with the statue group called the Pietà, in the nave leading up to David. Lesser Sites Near David This unfinished Pietà might conceivably be by Michelangelo, but it's more likely by his followers. It is done in the Master's style. It captures the moment when Jesus, who's been crucified, is being brought down from the cross by his loved ones. They struggle to hold up the sagging body of Christ. It's clear the artist took some liberties with realism to emphasize the emotional impact. Look at Christ's massive arm. It's almost the same size as his legs, which are now bent and broken. This makes the statue top-heavy, exaggerating the dead weight of Christ's now lifeless body. And the figure of Jesus is oversized. If he stood up, he'd be over seven feet tall. It all serves to drive home the point that Christ, while divine, suffered a very human death. There are a few other sites that we won't visit but you may want to check them out after our tour is over. For example, the museum has a pleasant, if underwhelming, collection of paintings. You'll see some of them to the left of David. At the end of the hall to the left of David is the Salone del Ottocento, a long room crammed with plaster statues and busts. These works were the Academy Art Students' final exams. An art school has been attached to the museum here for centuries. And, who knows, you may see the next Michelangelo wandering the streets nearby. Our tour is moving on. Start backtracking once again down the nave toward the entrance. As you pass the prisoners one last time, let's review. On the right, there's the Atlas prisoner. Atlas? You mean blockhead. Rick! And across from him? You mean the bearded prisoner? More like droopy drawers, or DD for short. That's just juvenile. And Matthew? He looks more like Moses with a stiff neck. Then the guy in the far right corner, over there. The Awakening? Awakening? Ha! He's falling asleep in the hot tub. And last but not least... The Young Prisoner? I can't wait. That's Mr. Underarm Deodorant, or Senior B.O. Let's roll on. Thank you, Rick, for that enlightening commentary. At the end of the hall, turn left into a room of paintings dominated by a large, twisting statue.
Gian Bologna's Rape of the Sabines from 1582. The Rape of the Sabines is the full-sized plaster model of the finished version you may have seen in the outdoor loggia next to the Palazzo Vecchio. This model guided Gian Bologna's assistants as they carved the final product in marble. Walk slowly around the statue and watch as the mythological story comes to life. It shows the legend of when the ancient Romans stole women from a neighboring tribe to propagate their growing empire. Here a Roman warrior tramples a Sabine husband as he carries off the man's wife. Husband and wife exchange one final anguished glance. As you circle the statue, watch it spiral around its axis. This twisting pose was clearly based on works by Michelangelo. As a plaque with a photo points out, Gian Bologna patterned his work after Michelangelo's groundbreaking victory, which you can see in the Palazzo Vecchio. Michelangelo established two common themes, triumphing over a fallen enemy and a spiral-shaped composition. Time and time again in European art, with these motifs, we see the hand of Michelangelo. Let's head for our final stop. Exit the Giambologna room through a doorway on the far side. Head down the hallway. Though Florence is best known for Renaissance statues and paintings, this last exhibit is a reminder of another enlightened aspect of the city's cultural heritage, music. And the city's musical legacy remained a cultural force long after Michelangelo. The hallway leads to a couple of rooms on the history of Florentine music. The Museum of Musical Instruments Between 1400 and 1700, Florence was one of Europe's most sophisticated cities, and the Medici rulers were trendsetters. 17th century musicians like Scarlatti and Handel flocked to Florence and the court of Prince Ferdinando di Medici. Look for the two paintings of the prince. He's the second from the right in both paintings. They show Ferdinando hanging out with his musician friends. The gay prince played a mean harpsichord, and he helped pioneer new variations of the instrument. Take a few steps further down the room. Here you'll find a small but choice selection of late Renaissance instruments. Some are familiar, cellos, dulcimers, and violins. Others, like some of the woodwind instruments, are weird and now obsolete. Step into the small adjoining room for the collection's highlight. Florence was on the cutting edge of technology that invented the modern piano. Here you'll see several experimental keyboards, both harpsichords and early pianos. Some are by Florence's keyboard pioneer, Bartolomeo Cristofori. As the exhibits point out, the breakthrough in keyboard technology was about how to make the string ring. The harpsichord plucked the string, like this. The new piano hit it with a padded hammer. That meant you could strike it either soft, that's piano in Italian, or hard, forte. By 1700, they'd invented an instrument that could play both soft and loud. They called it the pianoforte, what we call simply the piano. Here in this room, find the tallest piano on display. That instrument from 1739 is considered by some to be the world's first upright piano. 
From music to sculpture to painting and more, the city of Florence was Europe's cultural center for three centuries. With Michelangelo as its chief ambassador, Florence exported Renaissance values to Europe and beyond. We hope you enjoyed this walk through Florence's academia. Thanks to Gene Openshaw, the co-author of this tour. If you're up for more sightseeing, we have audio guides of the Uffizi Gallery and a walk through Renaissance Florence. Remember, this tour was excerpted from the Rick Steves Florence and Tuscany Guidebook, co-authored with Gene Openshaw. For more details on eating, sleeping, and sightseeing in Florence, refer to this year's edition of that guidebook. For more free audio tours and podcasts, and for information about our TV shows, bus tours, and travel gear, visit our website at ricksteves.com. This tour was produced by Cedar House Audio Productions. Grazie. Arrivederci. And buon viaggio.